Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there. We're back here with uh, part two of a two-part series on the Family Secrets trial with my friend James Imlach, who attended this trial and has given us some really invaluable insights, I think, and, and learned a lot more about it. Well, this week, folks, James is going to tell us about the three outfit guys that took the stand in their own defense, uh, Frank Calabrese Sr., uh, Joey Lombardo, and uh, Tuan Doyle, who was an ex-policeman. So settle back and, and listen in. It's, it's going to be really interesting. I'll never forget, Gary, uh, seeing Frank Calabrese testify in his own defense. Again, uh, let's, let's do that. Let's go oh, down yeah, go that ahead. path. Let's go down that path. That's good. Good okay. transition there. The, uh, the well, guys that testified in their own defense, James. Frank, again, Frank, a real killer, a real mob boss. It, it, just to see him in court was, was, was something to see. For the most part, Frank was on his best behavior. Uh, almost seemed at times like he was enjoying this attention. He would smile. He would crack jokes. And then at other times, um, he showed you his real colors, yelling, swearing. At one point, he was banging his fist on the table, um, yelling how his son stole money. So Frank, the reason Frank took this stand was he wanted to get up there and explain his side of the story, that his brother, Nick, and his son, Frank Jr., conspired to, to steal all his money and put him away for life. However, Judge Zago would not allow Frank to just go on and on and on. Yeah. So during Frank's testimony, he was losing his temper. He was getting frustrated with the prosecutor and the judge because they kept cutting him off. Because Frank thought he could just get up there and speak <laughs> how he speaks and act like he, he acts, but it, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. So many times the judge would have to clear the courtroom and reprimand Frank. Hey, if you don't stop this nonsense, we're going to gag you. We're going to handcuff you to the chair or take you out of the courtroom. Ooh. So his lawyer, Joe Lopez, is like a real character. Yeah. Kind oh, of like, yeah. a, he's on, like he's a Johnny on, Cochran. Yeah, he's on Facebook. Joe the Shark Lopez. I had him yeah. on the show once. He is a character. He's a good guy. He's a, he's a great mob mob defense lawyer. Yeah. You know, he would wear pink socks with a matching <laughs> pink handkerchief. Um, in fact, it was funny. One of, one of Frank's uh, lawyers got caught sneaking Frank Calabrese Sr. Italian salami. <laughs> so the judge think, found this out and barred the lawyer from the courtroom. That's a classic there. <laughs> but so, so Frank, he basically, his defense was, listen, I didn't kill anybody. I'll, I'll admit I'm the, I'm the biggest loan shark in Chicago. I never used violence to collect any of my debts. Yeah. You know, he purged himself the entire day. Um, he basically said his son stole millions of dollars from him. His brother's the real killer. But all the evidence was against Frank Sr. Because it was his voice on the tapes talking. Yeah, interesting. Huh? <laughs> I remember this, Gary. I'll never forget it. Um, at the end of the day, Frank would unplug his lawyer's laptop and wrap up the uh, extension cord. So picture this. During the day, you're hearing real testimony. What the China crown, what the Chinatown crew would do, most of their killings, they would they lure the victim, surprise them, strangle them, and then cut their throat. 
Occasionally they would use a gun or a bomb, but mostly strangle them with his hands or a rope and cut their throat. So after hearing that testimony, seeing Frank Calabrese wrap up that extension cord <laughs> around his big hands, nobody else in the court noticed it, but I did. And I thought to myself, oh my God, look, look at those hands. Go. Look yep. at him wrapping up that cord. Um, but bottom line, um, he couldn't control himself on the temper. He couldn't control his temper on court. And um, he really made a fool out of himself in court. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So then uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, oh, let's talk about the uh, Anthony you know, Twan Doyle, I believe, was the, the ex-cop. Tell us about that testimony. Doyle was uh, uh, an associate of the outfit, uh, a Chicago police officer, and he was also very good friends with Frank Calabrese. Yeah, he so, was out on bond. There's some famous t- wiretaps and uh, video out there of him talking to Frank Calabrese, a senior in a visiting room in the prison. He's trying to give him some messages. To get yes. Something done outside. Twan was out on bond, so he wasn't in custody. So, you know, he could come and go as he wanted. You could also, he would also make small talk with, with people like myself in the gallery, people in the media, pretty, pretty big guy. However, when they showed uh, several prison tapes of Twan, Michael Ricci, another Chicago cop, they were visiting Frank Calabrese in prison, again, talking in code, delivering messages. Most of the conversation was all about Nick. Like, what are we going to do if, if my brother testifies? You know, what, how are we going to handle this? Now, also, Twan was caught logging into a police computer in the evidence room, trying to locate that bloody glove, the Thakarada bloody glove. He was trying to get that out of the evidence. He never got it out of the evidence because he got caught, but it showed what time he logged in, how long he was on the computer, what time he logged out, and what he was looking for. The only piece of evidence he was looking for was that bloody glove. He was trying to make that glove disappear. Yeah. Um, So after seeing Joey on the stand, after seeing Frank Calabrese, fail on the stand. For some reason, Twan decided he's going to take the stand. So make a long story short, these guys, when their lawyers are direct, examining them, throwing them softballs, very easy questions to answer, but they cannot hold up during cross-examination yeah. with especially like very, very savvy, experienced lawyers like Mitch Mars. John Scully, Marcus Funk. These guys are the Michael Jordan of prosecutors. They couldn't wait to get up there and cross-examine these guys. So I remember um, basically Twan's defense was, I was just going to visit Frank Sr. as a friend. I had no idea what he was talking about. I I couldn't even understand him. Well, (laughs) it was quite obvious when you watch the tape and listen to Doyle, he's literally leaning over to, to really listen to Doyle, they're talking back and forth. It was quite obvious to the jury's jury that Twan knew exactly what Frank was saying. But he basically said, I had no idea what he was talking about. I was just going along with it. He could not explain, though, why he was in the gov- why he was in the uh, evidence room trying to find that bloody glove. But I remember this, Gary. Um, so at the end, towards the end, they would have a character witness, meaning like, Guys that would get up and say great things about Joey Lombardo. Guys that would get up and say great things about Chuan. So what Chuan did, Doyle, he would have 
three, four retired Chicago cops get up there and say, what a wonderful cop he was. <laughs> and, and then during the cross, Mitch Mars would say, oh, I see you were a Vietnam veteran. You were a sergeant of the police. You had a wonderful career. I got one question for you, Lieutenant. The cop would say, what's that? Mitch Mars, did you ever visit a mob boss in prison? No, no more questions. The next <laughs> cop got up there, told what a great cop Doyle was. Yeah. Mitch Marr says, I just have one question. You ever visit a mob boss in prison? No. <laughs> Meaning, why are you visiting a mob boss in prison? He destroyed Twan on the stand. Yeah, and simply, too. He did go into great length. He found, found that one thing that he could focus on. And it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> now, Twan, in my opinion, he had the best lawyers. He had Ralph Metchik, and he had two upcoming lawyers, Daryl uh, Goldberg and Damian Charles. Really, real sharp lawyers. They were begging to him. They were begging him, please don't take the stand. You got a good case. You, we might beat this case, but he didn't listen. He decided to get up there and think he could bullshit the, the government. Yeah, the jury, you know, the jury, the jury. They, don't, they don't like that. You're trying to run a game on them. They, and they spot that. They Those juries spot that kind of stuff. Yeah. In a second. Now, now, the best witness... The highlight was when Joey Lombardo took the stand. Yeah, let's talk about that. And, and let's talk, let's preface this with he was there for racketeering and the Danny Seifert murder. Is that it, 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 what was he charged with? He was there not with racketeering. Allegedly, he was part of the hit team that killed Danny Seifert. Okay, and that was that was part of it. He and Frank Suisse, who was in really ill health and didn't show up. Uh, yeah. Didn't, I can't even imagine if Frank Schweiss would have been in that court and what it would have been like. I, yeah. I can't even imagine. But Frank Schweiss, there was a lot of evidence against Frank Schweiss, but he was too sick to stand trial. Okay. All right. But go ahead. And, and so he, they had done some kind of a Teamsters deal. Redwood Matt told us about this a little bit that uh, Seifert had uh, gotten the Teamsters loan. Somehow he was connected to the Teamsters and they were laundering money and the government was starting to come down on this business that he had, that he was really in business with Joy Lombardo, who would show up over at the business even and act like he worked there and got to know Seifert's family even. Because if I remember right, his Seifert's wife testified that that was Joy Lombardo under that mask, that yes. the guy grabbed her and held her away while the other man who we have to think was Frank the German Schweiss yes. uh, actually murdered uh, the guy, uh, Seifert, and she testified uh, as to that. So did they have all that testimony against? Uh, they did. Um, uh, okay. In my opinion, aside from maybe the Indian, they didn't have a, a whole lot on Joey, in my opinion, but yeah. but they had enough to convict him. But the main evidence against Joey Lombardo, number one, the motive. The motive, as you mentioned earlier, was this Teamsters, the Central Teamsters Pension Fund. Back then, Gary, in the 70s, this was worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, It was literally the mob's piggy bank, right? So as you, we all know, they used that to build all the casinos and hotels in Vegas. So Danny Seifert was not only in business with Joey Lombardo, but he was in business with Tony Spilatro, Milwaukee Phil, and maybe one or two other guys I'm forgetting. Oh. So Danny Seifert, he knew who his friends were. Yeah, He got in some trouble. I don't remember what his trouble was. He decided to testify against this. 
So he was going to blow the lid on the central teams for fun. So number one, the motive was huge. Now, prior to the, to the murder, they were pleading with Danny, Hey, please let, you know, you really don't want to go this way. Like kind of like what they did to Hoffa. They were warning him, Hey, you might want to step down. Bottom line, Danny Seifert wasn't backing down. He wasn't scared of these guys, but it cost him his life. So the motive, the evidence against Joey, number one, the motive. The the government referred to it as the golden goose from the mob. The second thing was with one of the getaway cars, the work cars, when they found that car after they ditched it, there was some paperwork in the glove compartment. It had Joey Joey Lombardo's fingerprint on that. So that's kind of hard to to um, to deny that. Yeah, that is. Uh, another issue, another thing. This was this was um, really really um, damaging evidence to Joey was Mrs. Seifert. Many years later, now she's an older woman. She got up there and testified in great detail how the day her husband was killed, her little son was sick or playing hooky from school. She took him to the office. When she got to that office, shortly afterwards, two masked gunmen walked in. Allegedly, Frankie Schweiss and Joey Lombardo. Allegedly, Joey took her into the room, held her at gunpoint. And what the government mentioned was Frankie Schweiss cracked Seifert over the head. He tried to handcuff him. Somehow, Danny Seifert broke free. He ran out. Now, Danny Seifert, he's running for his life. His wife and his little son is in the in the other office. He walks outside, and I forget it was either Tony, Tony Spilatro or Joey Hansen killed him right there in the shotgun. And so when they heard the shot, Joey left. They all get in the getaway car, and they leave. And there just happened to be a um, – I think there was a policeman in that area, and he was on their tail, John Fecarata, the getaway guy lost them. Somehow he, oh, really? he lost yeah. them. Um, so they had Mrs. Seifert testify that even though Joey had a mask on, she could tell by his eyes, his voice, and the way he moved that it was him. Keep in mind, she's friends with Joey Lombardo. Yeah. They named her kid Joey after Joey Lombardo. Mm-hmm. Now, her Joey Lombardo's lawyer, Ralph Halprin, he really didn't impress her. Like, hey, how the hell do you know it was Joey? He had the ski mask on. But Ralph Halprin didn't really want to come too hard on her. Yeah. Because she was crying and, you know, a woman. But in Joey's defense, he should have really grilled her. Like, hey, you can't say for sure it was Joey Lombardo. He had a mask on. Yeah. But again, she could tell by his eyes, his yeah. voice, and the way he moved. And then you add all that other circumstantial in uh, the fingerprint and the motive and, and all add all that together. The the bulk, the weight of the entire weight of the evidence then got exactly a couple other things that tied Joey. I forgot to mention one, your guy, Al, the Rogers, he got up. He basically, you know, good old boy from Texas, spent half his life in prison, robbery, counterfeiting. He met Marshall Caffone in prison. According to Mr. Rogers, they became very close. Uh, Marshall Caffone promised him, when you get out of prison, don't worry, I'm going to hook you up with a job. When Roger got out of prison, he was told to meet Joey Lombardo, and he'd be, he he started doing some work for uh, the Grand Avenue crew. Mm-hmm. And 
the day after the Seaford hit, Alvin Rogers testified that Joey announced to his golfing buddies, that son of a bitch isn't going to testify anymore, is he? Meaning Danny Seifer. So if you believe Alvin Rogers, Joey kind of admitted it. Another thing that tied Joey to the crime was, and this was hilarious, his alibi. On the stand, they said, Joey, where were you the day Danny Seifer got killed? Here's what Joey's alibi was. (laughs) He said he was at a diner in Chicago. There was two Chicago policemen there having breakfast. When he went to pay his bill, he forgot he didn't have his wallet on him. So he goes back into the car. And he noticed somebody broke into his car and stole his wallet. Okay. So he goes back into the diner. He tells the two cops, hey, somebody broke into my car and stole my wallet. The cop said, hey, I want you to go to the so-and-so precinct and and report it. So Joey went there and made a report. Well, when when the government followed up, nobody ever made a report at that police station. And that police station was run by Bill Hanrath, uh, the famous... Um, robbery cop. Right. So that was Joey's alibi. Right. And then the last thing that tied Joey to the crime, and Nick talks a lot about this in great detail, how they use walkie-talkies and transmitters, right? Yeah. Joey went into an electronics store and bought a couple transmitters, okay? Or, I'm sorry, walkie-talkies. They found these walkie-talkies in one of the work cars. Uh-huh. So they had the guy from the electronics store testify. Yeah, I remember Joey Lombardo when he came in here and bought the walkie talkies. Joey Lombardo signed the name Dennis Savard, which is a famous Chicago Blackhawk player. (laughs) So they were able to tie the the walkie talkies they found in the the car. Joey Lombardo bought them. So all that combined is is what put them away. So tell me, uh, uh, like Joey Lombardo, I there needs to be a movie done by Joey Lombardo. He's a real character. He's a guy that told jokes, hence the name, the clown. He, he, he one time when the news people were following him around, he cut out eye holes in the newspaper and looked out and he'd stop. He stopped in a store and was start talking to some lady when the news people were following him around. He did a lot of, you know, kind of non-classic mob stuff. Uh, and, and people, as people seem to like him, that were around him, uh, but now, now describe how big is he? Is he a great big guy? Is he a little guy? And but just to physically describe him when he took the stand and his kind of demeanor. Well, back to Joey. During that during that early part of the trial, there was a big buzz in the courtroom. Is Joey going to testify or not? Is he going to testify or not? So one day, get this, I was I was running late from lunch, running back. I was a little late getting back to the courtroom. There was a long line. I'm like. Son of a bitch, I'm not going to get in, right? There's a big, long line. One of the federal marshals who recognized me from all the trials I'd been to said, come here. I walked past the front of the line. He whispered to me, second row in the back, there's a seat. So I I found Pat courtroom. I found a little seat. If it wasn't for that federal marshal, I would have never got in. So all of a sudden, all rise. Everybody gets up. Call your next witness. Ralph, we call Joey Lombardo. Everyone's like, <gasps> so Joey, who was in a, a wheelchair and got around in a cane. Now at this point, Gary, he's in his late seventies. He's an old man. He's a small frame. He's skinny. He lost a lot of weight. He shaved. He, he, he got a new haircut. Remember that wild beard, uh, 
Saddam Hussein look he had. He shaved all that off. So he looked like your grandfather, like a like a like an old man. It took him at least 10, 15 minutes to walk with his cane from the back of the courtroom to the front of the courtroom. Joey, right away, he faces the jury. Raise your right hand. He raised his left hand. Raise your other hand. <laughs> At first, he acted like he couldn't hear. Do you swear to tell the whole truth? Can you hear? So finally, his lawyer, Joey, where were you born? I was born in Grand Avenue. What was your first job? I used to shine policemen's shoes for 25 cents. Then he said, very cheap people. The whole courtroom, <laughs> even the judge started laughing. And then his lawyer says, now, Joey, Joey, he says, well, you told me to tell the truth. And he says, um, um, do you have any sports? Did you play any sports? Rather than say, yeah, I was a boxer and I played football. Joey says, I roller skated, volleyball, badminton, soccer, basketball. He named every sport that he ever played in. And then, then right away, rather than answer yes or no, did you kill Danny Seaford? Absolutely, positively false, sir. Did you steal money from the Teamsters Central Fund? Not one red cent, sir. You, you're the boss of uh, the Grand Avenue crew. Joey yelled, the president's got a bigger crew. <laughs> and at one point, Mitch Mars during the cross was yelling at him. Okay, they played a tape years ago. Uh, they bugged Alan Dorfman's office, right? Yeah. So it was Joey Lombardo. Alan Dorfman, and this really scumbag lawyer, Morris Schenker. I mean, this yeah, guy yeah. was nasty. Yeah. Now, they didn't know they were being recorded, but they did some kind of a land deal. And this guy, Morris Schenker, wasn't um, paying the part of money he was supposed to pay. So Joey's on tape saying, listen, Alan Dorfman is weak and humble. He's a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> the, guys, the guys that I'm with are not nice guys. He says, he says to the lawyer, how old are you? And they're playing the, the tape in the court. The lawyer says, I'm 73. Joey says, well, I guarantee you're not going to live to be 74. <laughs> He's like, if we can't spend that money, you're not going to spend them. So he was threatening him. So Mitch Marr says, Joey, you're, you're threatening him. Joey's like, no, I'm not. He's like, do you want me to play the tape again? You're threatening. Joey says, I threatened to strangle my ex-wife all the time, but I never did. <laughs> and that, and then at one point, uh, Joey told Mitch Marsh, he's like, George Bush and Dick Cheney, those are the men that should be on trial. You got the met, you got the wrong guys on trial. <laughs> so Joey came across funny, likable, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, like everybody in the court got a kick out of him. However, he could not handle the cross-examination of Mitch Mars. And it was, and Mitch Mars just destroyed him on the stand. Did he, did he, did he ever show any flares of temper or anything when Mars was like nailing him down and getting him or did he, did he try to. Not, not like Frank Calabrese. I mean, he wasn't yelling, swearing, banging his fist, but Joey would raise his voice and you could tell Joey was getting a little, a little agitated. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So he couldn't keep that uh, uh, comedian act up, the clown act up. Yeah. And then Joey went on to say, you know, how, how he feels sorry for the Seaford family. And, um, but he denied it. He, he denies it that he had nothing to do with it. And he also was told he, it's a long story, but he told the dentist, uh, Pat Spilatro, 
uh, Tony and Michael's brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, Pat Spilatro testified too. And Pat Spilatro was a, is a well-known dentist in Chicago. And he was obsessed with his brother's murders. This guy went around to all the prisons in, in the country and, and visit, would visit all the mob guys. Who killed my brothers? Why? Who killed my brothers and why? Everybody goes to them. They're like, hey, I don't know who killed your brother. So when he asked Joey, Joey said, well, if I wasn't in jail, if I was around, this would not have happened to your brothers. But but Joey was wrong. They were going to kill the brothers regardless. Yeah, yeah. yeah but Joey did have, he had a close connection to Tony Spilatro. Remember he did. That, yeah. that same microphone in Alan Dorfman's office. There's some taps out there that uh, have Tony Splatro and Joey Lombardo and Dorfman all in there talking. So he was he was close. And uh, I often wondered, you know, where, where they like they must have been like almost like equals. Uh, Spilatro kind of had his crew and his thing in Las Vegas where uh, Lombardo had the, the, the crew and the Chinatown crew there in Chicago because they, they talked to each other as equals, I thought. Yeah, they were they were very close. I, I heard that like both of their families came from Bari, Italy. Um, but I, I know they were, they were very close at one point. Keep in mind when Spilatra was in Vegas running around like a cowboy, Joey Lombardo was in prison. So there was nobody really there to control. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, maybe he was a little bit under Lombardo. Lombardo was a guy that might've been able to control Spilatro. And, and of course, Spilatro, he's got this crew going out there, the hole in the wall gang and, and they're making money and, and he can't control Lefty Rosenthal in the casino because he's like creating all kinds of stir. And Lombardo was in prison, I guess, during that time. I remember uh, at the very end when the, all the, the verdicts were read and, and, Joey, and Joey's uh, was found guilty. I'll never forget. He was banging his, his cane on the floor and yelling at his lawyer. That's, oh, the only time, that's the only time he really made a big scene. Huh. Who was Joyce Lombardo's lawyer? I don't know. Did you? He had two lawyers. Uh, this guy was a famous lawyer back in the day. Uh, Ralph Halperin, oh. Vietnam veteran, uh, uh, ex-NHL hockey player. But now keep in mind, this isn't Ralph Halperin in his prime when he was a young lawyer. Now Ralph Halperin's an old man. Um, and shortly after that trial, um, he committed suicide. Hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. And then he also had a female lawyer called uh, Susan Shantz, who I've never seen before. Huh. Well, this has been great, James. This is <laughs> oh yeah, this has really been good. Uh, our guys will love this this stuff. They should. I do myself. Those uh, those visual descriptions of, of you know face to face kind of things and what that's like because you always hear about the family secrets trial and how important it was. Uh, but, you know, what does that really mean? And something besides the, you know, Frank Calabrese Jr.'s kind of, you know, his self-serving, you know, testimony about what, you know, his part in it. And, and Calabrese, who is that? He was around somewhere. I hear he's around. I, I don't know where. I don't see him. Now, another thing I forgot to mention, another part of what put Joey away was Nick Calabrese testified that his best friend, John Thekarada. Mm-hmm who was part of the hit team that killed Danny Seaford, John Thakarada told Nick Calabrese that Joey was there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that'd be another little uh, nail in his coffin. Hearsay and not real good evidence, but... but Like you said, to tie everything so, in, yeah, the yeah. government does a very good job t- corroborating everything. Now, the, the highlight of the trial, and they say these, out of the 18 murders, two of them 
or the Spalacho murders. What what happened that time real quick? Like I said, Nick testified. You could hear a pin drop during this. Everybody was waiting for this. Nick testified. Jimmy Marcello picked them up, dropped them off at the Benson house. They got there a little early. When Nick Fekarada and LaPetria got there, he was greeted by Sam Carlisi. Sam Carlisi was making some wisecracks about his tan and all the money they were spending in Vegas prior mm-hmm. when they went out there to hit the Spalatros. Fekarada beelined it right to the bathroom. And Nick noticed, boy, Fekarada's in that bathroom a long time. When Fekarada came out, Nick noticed he was white as a ghost. Fekarada thought they were going to kill him. <laughs> so now get this. All of a sudden, Nick hears they're here, meaning Jimmy's, Jimmy Marcello drove Michael and Tony to the house. Yeah. So now this is where the evidence really gets important. Michael came down the stairs first. Nick greeted him with a smile and a handshake because Michael, Michael and Nick Calabrese were friends. Hey, Mike, how are you? After the handshake, Nick testified. He dove for his feet, his ankles. He held them real tight. And behind him, this guy, Louis Albany, Louis the Mooch, 350-pound guy. He died before the trial. He strangled Michael with a rope. So he testified Michael Spilatro died quickly and easily. Also, a small gun fell out of Michael's pants. John Nono's DeFranzo, according to Nick picked up the gun and emptied the bullets. Why Why Michael is being strangled, Tony Sperlatro is watching his brother die. According to Nick, Tony asked if he could say a prayer. Prayer was denied. And the rest of the guys that were there that day um, beat and stomped Tony Sperlatro to death. And when they showed the autopsy picture, you cannot even recognize Tony Spilatro wow. from his head to his chest, all black and blue. You could not recognize him. But one thing that struck me, Gary, and I'll never forget this. When Nick testified, all the gentlemen that were there, it was all the major, major heavy hitters of the mob. And I thought to myself, what, why would all these guys participate? For example, Joe Ferriola, a boss, Sam Carlisi, a boss, John DeFranzo, a boss. In my opinion, I don't know if I'm right. They wanted to personally be there to get their licks in, is my opinion. But I don't know. Yeah, interesting. I, you like to be able to read their minds in some manner, and, and you don't know they talked about it. Uh, and then afterwards, after this was done, Joe Ferriola, the boss of the time, he took John Fecarada and Nick Calabrese. They went for coffee, and Joe Ferriola told him, I forgot to mention they all wore gloves, by the way. Yeah. Joe Ferriola told Nick Calabrese and Fecarada to cut off their gloves in little pieces. <laughs> well, it's, uh, that was, that's a great way to finish this, James. That was, uh, I, I, I knew that you had that, and I, somehow I got distracted by all the different great stories about this trial, but that's, that's a great way to finish it. Everybody will really appreciate that. So James Imlach, I really appreciate it. you don't have anything to promote. You don't have a book or, or a I don't know. <laughs> I don't, but I got more trials to talk got about. More trials to talk about. And we will certainly be back with more trials. James, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Thanks so much, Gary. Keep up the good work. All right. Thank you. Okay. So uh, I probably will divide this into two. The uh have all the the, the testimony on the stand. 
the second half. I, I've got to put this together. Okay, because yeah, Nick, Nick talks in great, te- great detail about a lot of the other murders that they did. Yeah, one yeah. particular one, they remember when Tony Arcardo's house got burglarized? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they were going around killing all the burglars. Yeah. They talked about that. One particular, they lured this one burglar to a, a bar that was closed, and he was with a friend. This guy was innocent. So he testified, him and Jimmy Marcello strangled and beat this guy. And why the, why this guy was getting killed on the jukebox, the song by Frank Sinatra, Strangers in the Night, was playing. <laughs> so they referred to that murder as Strangers in the Night. So imagine getting killed and you're listening to Frank Sinatra. Really? <laughs> And they testified to that at trial. I imagine that jury was just like, I bet their eyes are bigger than dinner plates. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something else. All right, James, uh, I appreciate it. And I will be in touch. Thanks, Gary. All right, bye. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot, folks. Now, and don't forget, if you're on YouTube, to hit that subscribe button and uh, look at some of my other videos. And you might buy me a cup of coffee on the Buy Me a Cup of Coffee app or Hit me up on uh, at Gangland Wire on Venmo and go to my website. I really appreciate all the support you've given me. If you if you give me enough money, I'll put you on the monthly Zoom call list. And I try to have a, a private one-on-one with a different mob expert of some kind. Sometimes I just talk and rattle on and just we talk about things. But I also like to have a, a mob expert. We had a guy not too long ago that was in witness protection. He told us exactly how all that works. He was a guy out of Kansas City. Uh, So thanks a lot, folks.